Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We are excited to have Dr. Tony Floyd, President, and Dr. Tracy Parkinson, Vice President of Enrollment Management of Mars Hill University, as our guests. Uh, Dr. Tony Floyd and Dr. Tracy Parkinson of Mars Hill University, we we're so excited to have you here today. Um, you know, it's funny, I always joke around with my kids. I don't know if you remember Brent Musburger. He's still around doing broadcasts. But, you know, whenever he would enter a, a football game, you know, and start the day out, whether it was NFL Today or now he does a lot of the NCAA games, you know, he always starts out, you are looking live. <laughs> so I always feel like I have to jump in and say, you are looking live. Mars Hill University and a couple of the leaders here. So I'm really excited today to talk about about really the value of education, um, the value of higher education. Um, you know, also talk about the challenges and just the overall growth that you're seeing at Mars Hill. Uh, and, and frankly, what gets you excited every day when you get up and, and come to campus? So uh, one of the things I'd love to start out with, um, and, and President Floyd, I'll start with you. Can you talk about the mentors that help shape your journey, and then Dr. Parkinson, all you can follow up with with your answer as well. You know, Brad, I thank you for having us. Uh, I appreciate this opportunity. I think in in my prior podcast with you, I talked about having a constellation of mentors, and um, this constellation early in life was uh, people in my church, which led to people in my athletic circles, high school coaches. Um, I, I was a law clerk during high school with a lawyer next door to me who took me under his wing and helped me aspire to become a lawyer. And um, it exposed me to his law partner who was in the Senate. And uh, later in life, I had a law partner who was in the House of Representatives. And when I went to work at, at Coker College, I, had, I was surrounded by Board of Trustees members who really believed in me and the president there really invested in me, helped me get into programs. And so I've just been blessed to have have a life full of mentors, including my parents, who are um, both college educated. Um, my mom had a master's in education, was a teacher. My dad uh, was a musician and a very accomplished vocalist. So I've just I've just been blessed. And, and how about you, Dr. Parkinson? Yeah, you know, um, I mean, uh, there's all kinds of answers you could give to that. That constellation of mentors is a great way to look at it. But, you know, I, I, you know, three really quickly came to mind. One, in the very general sense, um, uh, great teachers at a small college experience that, uh, that I had when I was an undergraduate. Um, um, Bruce Whitney was one, one name that I would name to make sure I named it. Um, but, um, you know, I think back and I sometimes say that there are probably a few folks on my doctoral a dissertation committee who are still waiting for me to get a real job because they perceive that a real job is at a research one institution. And I had great teachers in a small college, small liberal arts environment. And that's what made me want to make a career there. So, you know, they come to mind, uh, just like President Floyd said, parents come to mind for a different reason. My parents did not graduate from college, but they were determined that me and my sister would and or that, you know, that my sister and I would. And so, so that piece and how they value higher education as, as leading to something you know, different than uh, my dad's 40 years working swing shift in a paper mill. Uh, so that, and then um, 
And then certainly, you know, from the leadership side, there are dozens I could name. Um, Pamela Davies is president emerita of Queens University in Charlotte and had a, an incredible 17-year run there. And, um, and I had the chance to work really closely with her over the period of a couple of years. And, and she is one that I, that I call still uh, frequently and that I think of as, as a mentor and a guide in terms of how she worked with her team and how she, she saw the future of an institution. And, and also specifically to our topic here, Pamela was working uh, with my institution uh, elsewhere uh, when I started uh, getting a little bit more involved on the, on the enrollment side and had been working largely in academics and, and partnerships and, and other things. And I can still remember her sitting across from me saying, now, Tracy, you may have seen pressure in higher education, but there's no pressure like trying to deliver a class. And, um, and she's right. Uh, but, uh, but then she became a mentor and someone to lean on and how to try to do that in a, you know, in a changing and, and tough marketplace for small college higher ed. So, so great teachers, my parents and Dr. Davies, those are, those are three uh, broad categories that come to mind to that question. Well, I always love starting out with that question because it really talks about the relationships that have been forged that you both have built. Um, you know, the bond that you have had with your parents to really help guide you and lead you. Um, and, and, you know, when you talk about, when you talk about the value of education and you talk about the value of faith-based, faith-based education, you know, I, I think from what I hear in my conversations with administrators, um, and what you read in the paper, you know, it, it's really being challenged maybe more so than it ever has, you know, and I, and I think part of it is it's, you know, maybe a, a per hour job, you know, where, uh, you know, maybe students out of high school are looking at, hey, I can get paid 20, 25, $30 an hour. Let me jump in here and avoid any type of, of student debt. Now, again, I think there's varying opinions on that, uh, depending on, on what you read. But, but Dr. Parkinson, I'll, I'll start with you. When you talk about the value of education and a commitment to earning your degree, what do you tell students and parents well, you know, the first thing I think, and this is more of what I, what I tell us internally, is, to, is for us on our campuses to be reminded uh, that, you know, on a 45-minute campus tour, the internal argument that we make to ourselves may not be one that will, that will resonate in that 45-minute campus tour. That may be one of us for the value of liberal learning. That may be one that's made over the course of the experience. Uh, in other words, uh, you know, I, I can't have a family on campus and say, hey, Here's a 12-page article from The Atlantic. If you read this about the value of liberal learning, then you you know you change your mind. It doesn't mean that the points in that article aren't valid. It just means that that's not the time to make that kind of argument. So I lean toward you know experience and making it as personal as I can. I I have um, because it's true and I saw it. I have leaned the past couple of times I've been in front of families to talk about my own eight-year-old son uh, last summer on campus. I'll give you the quick version here, Brad. But over the course of three weeks. Um, in one moment, he's in my office. There are a couple of faculty members nearby, and he starts talking about how he thinks tardigrades are cool, those little microscopic elephant-looking things. And so 45 minutes later, I'm taking pictures of him in the lab looking at tardigrades. And, um, and then the, the next week, he is here on campus um, learning to do something that I never you know, imagined before we moved to Western North Carolina, which is he's um, with our clogging team going to dance camp. And then the next week, um, he told us he wanted to go to baseball camp. And uh, that was great, except the problem was the last time he had seen or touched the baseball was the year before at baseball camp. He played soccer also. And I come walking up, 
the first day and there's all these kids in the outfield. They got their baseball pants on. They've got, you know, those little satchels with their own personal bats. And he's got his glove from last year that's really too small. He's wearing a T-shirt and shorts. And I'm thinking, I've made a terrible parenting mistake. And so I walked up to, um, to the coach and I said, listen, Zach, um, he has not touched a baseball since last summer. And Zach said, that's cool. He said, what we're going to do is make sure he's a little bit better on Friday than he was on Monday and that he likes it a little bit more on Friday than he did on Monday. He said, if we do that for every one of our kids, we'll be successful. So I tell those three stories to families to say, this is what it's about, right? And I'm telling it about an eight-year-old kid, but I'm saying that applies to all of us. If you'll show just a little bit of interest at a place like ours, there is someone who will want to run with you with that interest. And so I think it's about, about selling that experiential piece. And then, you know, obviously we've also got to talk about um, a, you know, career and calling. And I think on that faith-based side, we're going we're gonna to lean on that idea of, of moving toward purpose and calling and finding um, a career that is, you know, as Fred Bigner would say, sort of an intersection of your skills and passions. That's not exactly the way he said it, but that's the way I paraphrase it. Um, and then I think finally, um, I think here we try to articulate that, that for us, our faith heritage means that we understand that to be that we um, are an open, inclusive place that seeks to educate everyone that comes in front of us with some potential. And we believe everyone who's in front of us has that potential. And that's how faith informs how we go about doing things. It's, uh, it's to say that we're going to be uh, inclusive and we're going to be inclusive in our pedagogy and inclusive in our instructional design because our faith informs that our faith heritage informs that um, as opposed to, um, you know, to, to maybe um, um, you know, more dogmatic approaches to, to what a faith-based education is. It's really how it informs what we do and, and how we want to make this a place for everybody and a place where you find a sense of purpose and calling uh, going forward. Because uh, the one thing that will make you want to continue to race is feeling like you know where you're going around the next corner, I think. Well, and I love the idea too of, you know, don't, don't go it alone. You know, you've got people that can help support you and guide you. And, and President Floyd, maybe you can talk a little bit about the, the campus environment. And I know for me personally, when we had our, our first conversation, um, you know, you had talked about being able to have lunch with the students. And, I, you know, I understand some students may like a bigger uh, flagship state institution. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But, but I also know that Mars Hill, one of the advantages is the ability to get to know all the students, you know, and have the president get to know the students and Dr. Parkinson getting to know the students and again, making them feel comfortable that, hey, I can talk to the president. I can talk to the head of enrollment management. They've been through this too. So Dr. Floyd, can you talk a little bit about what that means to be on a close knit community? Because relationships mean a lot. Well, what it means is I know what's going on and I know I can diagnose pretty quickly um, where there are problem areas and they need to be addressed. And I, you know, sometimes I handle it very roundabout way. But when I'm when I'm in the dining hall and I'm talking to a lot of young people, I can I can feel I can feel their needs. I can feel um, where they're really in distress. I'm also seeing them on the playing fields. I'm in the recital halls. I'm in more auditorium listening to, in fact, I'll be there tonight for a percussion ensemble presentation. 
And you learn a lot. You see them at their best. You also stumble on them when they're at their worst. And so what that means is I have a good feel for it. And so sometimes sometimes on a college campus, it, the facts are hard to figure out. And, but I think being active and being immersed into them, you, you cut through some of that and you know um, that you've got to push some buttons to really get them over the finish line. I also think that they know that, that I care about them. And I don't think every kid in universities across the country feel like the people sitting in these offices care about them. And I, I, I really believe that our, our students know that I do care about them. It's not a perfect place. I, I acknowledge that, but we're going to, we're going to really try hard to, um, to figure out what they need, get it to them and, and evaluate whether it's working. And so, um, it's a daily thing. And also encountering faculty who are have them in the class. So I can say, what are you seeing with uh, John Doe? What are you seeing? How, how can I help? What can we do? So it's just hands-on. It's being, I tell, in fact, I'm speaking to a, a group of, we call them local lions this afternoon, uh, 16, 17-year-olds coming on campus that live within a commuting distance. And I will tell the parents tonight and the students, I want to be a part of your life. I want to, I want you to show me the pictures when you get engaged. I want to be there and, and understand what's happening in your life. And Terry and I want to know uh, how we can be a part of your life. And so that's a, that's a promise I make to the parents that I am going to treat them like I have treated my two daughters and now my, my new grandbaby. And I promise the parents that. I try my best to keep that promise, and I take it very seriously. Well, and, and Dr. Parkinson, you had mentioned your first generation. Yeah. Is that correct? How many first-generation students does Mars Hill have? Yeah, a typical incoming class. That's a great question. <clears throat> typical incoming class, you know, anywhere. If you ran across five students in the incoming class, at least two are going to be first-gen and maybe three. And so, uh, so that's one of the things that's important to me is to make sure I'm finding avenues to tell my story to students. Because, you know, when I'm walking around campus in my tie or my sweater vest, it, it's not necessarily apparent that, um, that my path may have been very, very similar to a lot of these students. And we've got a lot of faculty and staff who have similar paths. And so we want to figure out ways to leverage the kinds of things that Tony's talking about to be able to say, there are people around here who get you. And who, who understand and, and, and took a path that's a lot like yours and successfully made it across the finish line in that path. Um, and uh, I think that's a, a, an immeasurably valuable part of what we can sort of offer up. And then, um, you know, those relationships on that small level. I saw it again with my with my son. Use him the other day because we're in the grocery store. And, um, and half a dozen kids from that same dance team stop because it's be real time, be real, the latest sort of social media craze. And so he's in, he's in all their be real photos, right? Because they know him. And, uh, you know, I'm a huge sports fan. I love Division One athletics and I'd love to, uh, to go to a big football game. But when I'm going to those, I'm going to a show. And when I go to a Marshall University football game, there's guys on that team going to say hi to my son after the game. They're going to, you know, throw the ball with him. And the same is true with the dancers or the folks down in the lab when he was visiting the mammalogy lab the other day. Um, and those relationships, you know, so they, sh they, they weave through the whole campus and, and we got to use that to our advantage. Absolutely. And so, you know, the market is very competitive. 
Um, you know, some would say it's a saturated market. How does Mars Hill compete? And Dr. Floyd, I'll start with you. Well, we compete on in a number of ways. Some of them very um, traditional and mainstream, and some of them maybe not not quite as much. First of all, we're we're going out into these schools, into the high schools, and you heard me talk local lion. We are uh, seeking to uh, get a critical mass of students from our geographic region, the four or five counties around Madison County, North Carolina, which also borders the Tennessee border. We are going into these schools with admissions counselors. I make visits. Um, there are people uh, going into there. Uh, for instance, our choir goes and performs, goes, goes on a tour. We have something called showstoppers in theater where they're going into the school and we're, we're old fashioned, um, person-to-person contact. We also have more sophisticated ways through, you know, uh, hiring companies to help us and and doing things like that. Social media has exploded. Um, I am communicating constantly on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, um, all the different different things. We have a channel on TikTok. And so one of the videos I shot this week to introduce our students to the math and writing center with our uh, mascot Cosmo was pumped out on TikTok last night where I'm speaking directly to our mascot, but the message is directed toward our students that we have math and writing help at Mars Hill. Come here. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Uh, But we're, we're doing all those things. We have billboards, we have TV ads, we have radio, we have Google ad buys. We have all those things that, um, are doing that. But one of the powerful things is we have, uh, for instance, in football, we played for the South Atlantic Conference Championship the last two years. And the news coverage, the WLOS Asheville station covering that, um, the media in the area where we've played, the Charlotte media picking up on that. Uh, we've hired Larry Davis, who played for Coach Dean Smith in basketball and for Eddie Fogler at South Carolina and is an all-SEC caliber uh, player in his time, that type of thing is getting noticed. And so we're firing on all cylinders because we are a, a wonderfully kept secret. And unfortunately, we need to do better to tell our story. We're also pumping out success stories. So we have had tremendous uh, students come through here. And we have a unbelievable amount of chief executive officers across North Carolina that have come through Mars Hill. We have a, a incredible group of college and university presidents, Ken Peacock at App State, Fred Young at Elon, Dan Lunsford here, uh, some others that I, c- I could get into later. But we we have got success stories, unbelievable success stories. Um, and so we are trying to tell those stories. We also have magazines um, going out in an old-fashioned mail way, but that reaches a different segment. So anyway, I'll stop there. That. I could go on forever about what we're trying to do to tell our success stories. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I would only add to that, um, you know, my, my big quick three are, you know, we've got to understand who our competition is and we got to, um, and, and for us, that means we can't assume, and I think this is true for many small colleges like us, we tend to assume that if a family shows up, that's because they've decided small private ed- higher education is what I would like. And, you know, that they have not necessarily made that leap just because they're visiting us. Typically, if they're visiting us, um, they are likely still considering, um, 
you know, a couple of the regional publics, maybe one of the flagships, maybe a couple of community colleges. So it's understanding that that is a big part of our competition. And, you know, anybody sort of, you know, listening or watching could fill in the blanks. When I say Western Carolina, Appalachian State, Tennessee State are, are competition, you know, fill in the blank with the regionals um, in your area and, um, and you're going to be able to say the same thing. And then, um, and, and Tony's mentioned it, I think went in the backyard. I say that a lot with our group. Um, you know, this fall, we've got students from 36 states and 30 countries. And so that's an important part of who we are and what we do, having such a diverse population in the little corner of Western North Carolina. And yet, at least according to the last thing I read, the median distance away from a student attending a private college is 44 miles. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you got to know that. And, um, and so you've got you to make sure you, you win the backyard and, um, and make sure that you're a name for those students. Um, just last Friday, we decided in, in admissions that it was worthwhile to shut down the whole office so that we could send the whole team out so that we could make sure on the same day, every single high school, every one of them in our local region got a personal visit. And so we just devoted a whole day to that because we felt like that was important. And we didn't want to hit all those high schools over the course of 14 weeks. We wanted to hit them all on the same day in March. And so we did that. Um, and then also, I think, yeah, being really intentional with our modeling um, and, uh, and the data-driven side to it. You know, it's both an art and a science. You know, the art is that relational piece and the science is, is really digging into our data, especially if you're a small college with a small team. Um, they've got to sometimes be able to prioritize who they're going to call, you know, for being really or whom they're going to call. We're going to be really frank. And so we've got to, we've got to use our data well. A- absolutely. I mean, relationships mean, mean so much. And can you talk about the, the beautiful community of Asheville? I mean, I was fortunate enough to go to college in North Carolina and spend about six or seven years in North Carolina. And I know how beautiful your part of the state and part of the country are. Can you talk about one or two local relationships business relationships that you've built and and really what the local community means. And Dr. Floyd, I'll start with you. Sure. So, um, of course, Asheville is a beautiful place and we're at exit 11, just above Asheville, about uh, 14 miles north of Asheville. So we're in the really beautiful part above Asheville. Um, What's happening in Asheville is tremendous growth. Uh, what's happening in Asheville is tremendous pressure on affordable housing and um, places to live. Asheville is growing so fast that there are a lot of pressures. So one of the great relationships that's happened is I have uh, become part of a lot of the task force going on there, working with the chamber, working with something called the P20 Council, which is the Education Attainment Group. And I, so I have been working side by side with members of the Senate, members of the House, um, the, the business leaders in Asheville, uh, people like Jack Cecil at, at uh, Biltmore Farms, and lots and lots of things going on that Mars Hill has been a part of. And we are an oasis for the arts, and Asheville is an arts place as well. So we have the Appal- uh, Appalachian Repertory Theater here. And so during the summer, we have incredible um, theater going on and people from Asheville are coming here to see these shows. And so there are just lots and lots of relationships going on. We also have alumni uh, all throughout Asheville. And a number of our trustees have been working in the business community in Asheville and they are very plugged in. uh, And and 
relationships with various churches in Asheville. Uh, so it's just been a really good, good partnership, in my opinion. And I tell our, our visitors and our students, the best, the best thing about Mars Hill is we are up in the beautiful mountain. It's quiet and peaceful here, but you can be in Asheville in 15 to 20 minutes. You can be in North Asheville. You can be at the mall. You can be at the theater. You can be at the Biltmore House. You can be at the wonderful restaurants downtown. So you got the best of both worlds. And so it's a, it's a great uh, asset for us. Absolutely. I, I'd say the same, you know, a, a beautiful town you know, north of Asheville. And so it's that, it is that sort of uh, best of both worlds in terms of, of, of Mars Hill itself. We've got the benefits of, of being sort of right in the middle of, of this small little downtown. So walking across the street to the coffee shop is easy. Walking to uh, Rio's for, for a taco is, is easy. Um, as we seek to recruit talents, um, We've got the good fortune of, of Madison County Schools being one of the top 15 performing um, high school uh, or school districts in the state of North Carolina. And then some other little things um, that I'm seeing happen recently is, and you see it in any, any growing area, is some businesses beginning to relocate just outside of, uh, of the, the core metro area. And so really just yesterday at lunch, the director of our Entrepreneurial Thought Center was telling me about a student who really wanted to do an internship in data analysis. Well, it just so happens that about 12 months ago, a robotics firm, Spark Robotics, relocated to Mars Hill, North Carolina, because it was cost effective for them to do it. And he's going to start an internship next month, you know, doing a data analysis project um, for a robotics firm. And he's going to do it right here in Mars Hill, North Carolina. And so leveraging those opportunities in the core local community and then um, and then in the broader Asheville metro area, you know, are, I think are vital for us. And so it's great to be in a thriving, growing area. And we're fortunate for that. Absolutely. So where do you see Mars Hill in five years? And Dr. Floyd, I'll start with you. Well, it's very interesting, Brad. We just, uh, in the last couple of weeks, had our our winter board meeting. And our board uh, unanimously passed a strategic plan, 2023 to 2028. So that's on our website if you want to look at it. It's... um, it's a comprehensive plan about where we want to be five years from now. I will tell you, uh, I don't know if it will be five years or three years or whatever that is, but our, our goal is to get to 1,200 students. We would like to have 1,000 traditional undergraduate students and 200 adult and graduate studies students. So that is our, our uh, immediate goal. Um, we were at about 1050 this fall, and we would like to get to 1,200 in the in the as a part of this plan. Um, but that's, it, from an enrollment standpoint, that's where we'd like to be. Where, from a, a, a non-number standpoint, where we want to be is a university where students come here, they come to a beautiful place, they come to a place that recognizes their potential and helps them find their purpose. And so uh, we have something called the Catherine Center here, which is devoted to helping students find their path forward after Mars Hill, uh, possibly find a path forward while they're here with internships. But we want young people to be able to leave here ready for the real world. We want parents to know that this investment in their education is preparing them for a life after Mars Hill and that it not just be a life of material things, it be a life devoted to purpose. 
And so we are, um, a lot of people now have started talking about purpose. We've been talking about it for a long time. We're one of the first schools to embrace purpose and calling. And it's kind of become a fad in some of the, some of the other schools beginning to really talk about it. But that's because a life of meaning makes a difference. And my life is a perfect example. I changed careers from being a trial lawyer to, to being here with young people. And I feel better. My life is better. I'm excited to come to work and um, I want our young people, I want them all to have that moment of recognition of what they want to do with their life. So it is, that's what Mars Hill is about. Five years from now, I hope we're able to scale the Catherine Center and everybody have this experience where they're able to do that. Uh, Where we want to be five years from now, we want to be a dominant force in the South Atlantic Conference. Uh, we've played for a, a, a championship in football this past year. Uh, our soccer team was nationally ranked during the last fall. Our volleyball team had a 12 or 13 game winning streak last fall. We want that to carry over into every sport and we want to become a dominant winning force in the South Atlantic Conference. Uh, we want our students to uh, excel in the classroom. So we want our graduation rates to rise and we want our retention rates to rise, but we also want to, want to be seeing uh, students getting awards for academics. And so it is a, a plan to rise. We, in five years, hopefully in two and a half years, you, we want to have a new campus center on our campus. And uh, we had a, a, a task force meeting yesterday to pull the trigger on phase one and phase two of the campus center project, which is going to be about a 55, 60,000 square foot building right in the heart of the Lunsford Commons here on campus. So I could go on. I, there are many other things in that five year plan, uh, but we are, are a university that's rising. We've right, we rose 10 spots in the U.S. News and World Report ranking for regional colleges south in the last cycle. If you really drill into those numbers, you will see our peer ranking as a top 10 peer ranking. And I'm so excited that our peers uh, in regional colleges south are recognizing our rise and, and really um, giving us a vote of confidence there. So we want all those metrics and KPIs to rise, and we want these young people to leave here with good jobs and sense of purpose. Absolutely. Dr. Parkinson? Well, it's hard to follow that, but what I would say is, um, is to be a place that's, um, that is known, I think we already do this, but is known for seeing students for their, for their potential. And when we talk about uh, the debate about the value of higher education, I do also fear a devaluing of, of schools that are, that are willing to see every student for what they could be, uh, which is to say we talk a lot here about um, uh, our students will come with a wide range in what their preparation has been. And some of that is just um, because you were, you were lucky enough to go to a great high school or, or be born into some privilege or you weren't. And, uh, and so the gap in preparation may be wide, but the gap in potential is very narrow. And, uh, and so to, to operate that way, to see students that way, to be seen that way, and then to Tony's point for our, for our metrics to show it for whatever you might predict the persistence and graduation rates to be for, um, for the profile of our student body. I want us to be a place that consistently exceeds what you would expect there. And, and I can't think of a better measure of our success than that if we're able to achieve that. Well, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, Mars Hill University has has a lot going for it. And I 
I love, I mean, I get excited hearing about, you know, purpose, passion, relationships, and also that ability, that commonality. I mean, that's what I love about it too, is that you can really talk about your experiences and really relate with, with students and parents. I love that, that faith-based small environment where you can get to know each other. And then again, you've got a local community where students can come live on campus and be surrounded by businesses, by places to go and eat and have coffee and, and really enjoy themselves. So I, I really, I really appreciate our time today. I feel like we could talk for several more hours, but uh, I, I really appreciate it. And, and Dr. Floyd and Dr. Parkinson, thanks so much for sharing everything that's going on at Mars Hill University. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you for joining the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. For more information on the series, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. Thank you.